Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Chris Bailey about his year of productivity in which he conducted experiments like watching 70 hours of TED Talks, using a smartphone for only an hour a day for three months, living in total reclusion for 10 days, and what he found to be essential to managing your time, energy, and attention. Chris, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, my pleasure. So I actually came across your story by way of one of our listeners and uh, when I went and looked up everything that you were up to, I was very intrigued because I, I wondered how a human being could be so productive and pack so many things into so many small segments of time. And I wanted to really get to know you and, and talk to you about this. So on that note, can you tell us um, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, and how it's led to everything that you're up to now? Oh, man, how long do you have? That's like, <laughs> that's like a whole book in and of itself. But, but I guess I'll start from about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, I picked up a book named uh, Getting Things Done. It's by an author named David Allen. He's like, he's like the, the productivity guy. If there's one name that people associate with traditional kind of productivity, I think it's, it's this David Allen guy. Um, and I, I, was, I was in Chapters, which is kind of the equivalent of the Barnes & Noble. It's the Canadian Barnes & Noble. Have you mm-hmm. heard of Chapters? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and and I picked up that book, you know, just for the hell of it. I got a bit curious. Then I then I kind of poured over it, and that was kind of the tipping point that got me interested in this whole de- idea of productivity. You know, accomplishing more in the same amount of time, so you have more time for the things that are meaningful to you. Um, that that was about a decade. It's kind of weird looking back. A decade, I guess, isn't a whole lot of, t- maybe it is a lot of time in the grand scheme of things, but but that's beside the point. Um, you know, fast forward 10 years, I, I graduated university uh, in May of 2013. I'd been investing in my productivity up to that point. I'd read, you know, hundreds of books and and all this sort of stuff, following all the blogs and everything like that. Um, and the day I graduated, you know, I'd, I'd worked hard up to that point. I had a few good internships throughout university. And the day I walked out the door, I had a couple full-time job offers um, that were offered to me from these big companies, uh, a couple of which I'd done internships with. And and I was trying to kind of decide between them, but I kind of came to the realization that no, no of those two jobs would really give my life that much meaning. You know, I could see 
the next 40 or 50 years ahead of me kind of, uh, you, you know, in the movies where they look down the hallway and it kind of stretches off into the distance and they have that effect where it doubles the length of the hall. That, that, that's like what my life looked ahead of me. I could see the career progression, the salary increases, the promotions, the retirement, the green lawn, the wife, the kids, the everything. And I didn't freak out, but I just thought like this, this totally isn't for me. Um, and then I thought, you know, what, what is kind of meaningful and aligned to what I actually care about? And I came to the realization that it was productivity. You know, it's kind of weird in a way. Most, most normal people are into things like music (laughs) and sports and things like that. But for some reason, I got bit by that bug about a decade ago. And so I decided to decline those jobs uh, to start a project named A Year of Productivity. Should I keep going? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. Am I rambling? No, not at all. Keep going. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, so I I started a project named A Year of Productivity. Uh, I essentially looked at how much money I had in the bank account I had about $20,000 as student loans when I graduated, which wasn't actually all that bad because I had those paid co-op internships. Um, but because I had those internships, I also saved up twelve grand when I graduated. And I figured, you know, if I live really, really, really frugally for a year, if I ate a lot of beans, a lot of rice, uh, lived very cheaply, I could make it through a year, you know, spending $1,000 a month times 12. It's $12,000. That's how much money I had in the bank. And I thought, you know, I couldn't explore this idea of productivity forever, but I could dedicate a year of my life to it. You know, these projects, um, you know, they, it felt kind of a bit cliche to do a, a year-long project, but that was, you know, how much financial runway I had. And so a couple Mays ago, I declined those two full-time job offers uh, to start a year of productivity. It was, a, it was a blog at the time. And, you know, so for a full year, I interviewed my favorite experts in the field, people like David Allen. I had the chance to speak with him a few times. People like, uh, you know, probably a lot of the folks you've had on your show, like, you know, Charles Duhigg, he wrote a book named The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those kinds of people, I, I won't name drop any further, I promise, uh, that, that I got a chance to interview. Um, and I dove into hundreds of uh, journal articles and books over that time, too. And also kind of the weirder part of the project was I, I conducted these productivity experiments on myself where I used myself as a guinea pig to explore this idea of productivity. So I meditated for uh, 35 hours over the course of six days. I, I was actually just meditating before we talked. So if I sound you know, pretty chill right now, I'm, I'm in, like, I, I feel good. Um, I, I watched 70 hours of TED Talks over a week to play around with uh, things like information retention and taking breaks, um, how that impacted how I retained the information and focused. I I did things like I used my smartphone for only an hour a day for three months. I I worked 90 hours a week for a month, alternating between working 90 hours one week, then 20 the next, then 90, then 20. Um, I drank water for only for a month. You know, I lived in total isolation for 10 days. Um, You know, I, I did dozens of these experiments to basically throw a bunch of ideas at the wall that related to productivity and see what stuck. And then I wrote about everything that I learned. Hmm. Okay, so lots of questions about this. Uh, Lots to unpack, I guess, with that. So one of the things that I I always want to do is go back and look at sort of the formative experiences um, prior to the start of a journey that would even lead you down such a weird path. 
uh, <laughs> you know, when you're growing up, childhood, you know, people in your life. I mean, what in the world would lead to this? I think curiosity, to be honest, uh, you know, I've always been a curious person. I've just been more inward facing than outward facing. You know, I was one of those people who I didn't have a ton of friends growing up. You know, we moved uh, across Canada is a big country, you know, to go from one end to the other. Uh, we lived in a province called Alberta. Uh, have you heard of Alberta? Yeah. And I Ontario? I've oh, you li- I was born in Red Deer. <laughs> it's like it's like two hours away, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Where are you living now? In Southern California, which is much nicer. Okay, so a little bit different yeah. than that Edmonton, that's for sure. So I was born, yeah, a couple <clears throat> couple hours drive from from where you lived um, in Red Deer or Dead Rear, as they call it in in Red Deer these days. Um, and in grade six, you know, things got kind of uprooted for me. Uh, we moved across the country to uh, a city called Belleville, which I think is actually the teen pregnancy capital of Ontario, which is a badge of honor for the town of Belleville. I got I got out of there as quickly as I could. I live in Ottawa now, uh, where I went to university or college, as you say, in Southern California. And that that kind of uprooting, you know, I'm kind of dancing around the point because I, I, I resist talking about it. You know, that uprooting kind of shook things up for me. You know, I, I spent a lot of time around people, but when you go from, you know, 100 to zero mm-hmm. with the amount of people that you're surrounded with all the time. And it, it, it's not like I was, uh, put into into a school in Ontario in a natural transition phase. You know, this was in the middle of grade six. I had to adapt. I had to make new friends. And, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm a shyer guy uh, just by default. And so I had a hard time doing this. So that kind of made me look inwards more and kind of look around for ideas to get curious about. Um, that was grade six. You know, I wasn't too curious about productivity back then. I probably had no idea what it is. <clears throat> you know, even if I talk to my grandma about what productivity is, she has no idea what the hell I do right now, even, even though I just wrote a book. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, those, those are kind of the formative years where I began kind of looking inwards um, to look around for what dots I wanted to connect going forward, um, to kind of surround myself with a ton of different ideas and kind of swim in that pool for a little bit. And I kind of took that attitude throughout university and, and through today, I think. Mm. You know, one of the things that you said that really intrigues me is that you could sort of see what the future looked like before you if you were to choose one of these jobs that you had had you received offers for. And I think that's unusual at such a young age. And I'm interested in one, how we start to do that in our lives. And also, you know, you mentioned this idea of finding the things in your life that give you meaning. How do you do that? Oh man, <laughs> that, that's that's so difficult. I think you have to start with what you value. You know, think deeply about what you care about. Um, that that's I think step zero to anything. You know, when, if if everything you do over the course of the day is aligned to what you value, you know, I, I value uh, I value efficiency. I value uh, science. I value you know these kinds of ideas that productivity is connected to, which is why the project was was so meaningful to me. I think mm-hmm. I, don't, I I haven't unpacked that idea too much because I've been unpacking so many of the the ideas uh, that surround productivity itself. But I, I think that's kind of a curious one to to look at. A- another another kind a cool example, I think, is, you know, maybe a California example for you is is when the the University of California at Irvine was first built. Uh, The school 
was built without any sidewalks. And a few of the, the schools around North America did this at the time. Um, I think it, it was around the 50s or the 60s. And what they did is they basically erected a bunch of buildings um, that made up the campus, and the students and faculty walked around in the grass around those buildings. And what they did is the urban planners that designed the university, they looked at the paths that people had carved out in the grass, and that's where they laid the sidewalks on top of. Um, and, and that was kind of a similar analogy that I took with me to start the project is, you know, not only what, what do I care about, but what have I done in the past? You know, looking back throughout the last 10 years of my life or since I can remember, you know, when have I been the most motivated? You know, I, I have all these data points kind of looking behind me. When have I been the most motivated? When, I've, when have I been the most inspired? When have I been the most driven? And when have I felt the most meaning and passion for what I was doing? And all of those concepts orbited around the idea of productivity. Um, and I think, you know, to, to the other question kind of, uh, seeing ahead, you know, there's there's a Steve Jobs quote mm-hmm. I love uh, that that where he says you can only connect the dots looking backwards. You can't connect the dots looking forwards, and so something like that is pretty much impossible. Nobody has the foresight to see exactly what it would be like. But I think it was the internships that kind of gave me that perspective. I could see uh, in the colleagues, I, I had internships in the government during business school. I had internships in the private sector for big companies, small companies, every company in the middle. Um, I, I could see you know, people from all walks of life in all different departments of the company. You know, I, I worked in HR, so I could see you know, how much money did these people make? And I could talk to them and, and figure out, okay, how much debt does do these people have? And like, wh- why don't they care about what they're doing? Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, when you're in HR, you can kind of you, you kind of step back and you can see the entire organization. Uh, the, w- one of those terms I worked, it was for an entire year, so I could see managers throughout the organization progress upwards, and engineers turn into managers, and managers turn into directors, and directors turn into vice presidents, and I could see you know what separated the the high performers from the low performers and I kind of took a step back and thought you know that's you know it's not for me maybe it will be someday mm-hmm. but right now like I, I just don't care about about that so that's when I turned to productivity mm. you know I think it's interesting I was just working on a piece and what likely might end up being a section of my book called the seductive bargain of society's life plan and to me, that's largely what you're describing is what appears to be something really good, uh, but may not be. And I think that the bigger thing that, you know, I take away from what you just said is this idea of the work being meaningful to you. It's really easy, yeah. I think, when we look at successful projects on the internet or, you know, other ways of being successful, thinking that we want those things, but not considering that they may not be meaningful to us. In fact, I have found that if the work is meaningful to you, you are much more likely not only to follow through with it, but to be successful with it. Oh, for sure. And I found that with the experiments in my project, too. Um, One of the ones I tried to conduct, or I I did conduct, was waking up at 5.30 every morning. And, Mm. you know, the the ritual that I created around that, you know, it was the stuff productivity uh, dreams are are made out of. You know, I woke up at 5.30 to, and I prepared and I drank a coffee. At 6, I walked to the gym. I planned out my entire day when I was working out from 7.15 to 8.15. 
fifteen, I made a huge breakfast and showered and meditated. At eight fifteen, you know, I was disconnected from the internet throughout this whole time, so I could kind of rise above my work and planet. You know, I reconnected from eight fifteen to nine. I read, and from nine onwards, I, I began working. But then I kind of, you know, this I, I fell in love with the idea of this ritual instead of actually falling in love with the ritual itself. Uh, and when I took a step back from it, you know, the idea of that ritual, it's the sexiest productivity idea mm-hmm. out there, you know, being the person who's ultra productive and does yoga and works out <laughs> in the morning. But in practice, I, I freaking hated it. And it's, it's like a bad breakup, right? Where you, where you spend some time away from somebody and you suddenly fall in love with the idea of that person instead of, you know, how much you actually hated being with them. <laughs> you know, productivity, life, breakups, they're, they're all the same. You know, they're, they're, in my opinion, uh, you know, there's the idea of what something is like, and then there's what that thing is actually like. Like, mm-hmm. New Year's resolutions are the exact same way. Over 90% of people fail at the resolutions they make. And, you know, it's not only because things aren't aligned with what they value. You know, people try to work out for an hour every day and when they actually don't care about working out. But it's because... It's because the idea of making a change to your life, and this is the hard part about productivity, is so much sexier than what you actually have to do to achieve that change, to actually make it from, you know, do that transition Uh from something being an idea to something being a habit. That's where the sausage is made with regard to productivity. And that's the part that people forget about, I think. They, They focus on the idea and not so much what they actually have to do to make it happen. Yeah, well, it's kind of like writing a book, right? You you get to see yeah, totally. the end result of it, but what you don't see is that it's every day just a grind of sitting in front of a computer typing. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, it, I, I just finished my book last week. I think I handed it in. You know, uh-huh. the reason I don't know is because life has been a blur for for the, for the last six or seven months, but. You know, pe- people around me are patting me on the back and saying, "Like, dude, you you wrote a freaking book! Like, it, that's incredible." But from my point of view, from kind of the inside looking out, it's the opposite. It's like I've had to grind at cranking out a ton of words every single day, and it's been worth it. It's been worth the extra effort that I put into it to make the book not good, but you know, that's something that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's totally different. I think from the idea that people have about it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's do this. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit. And let's start talking specifically about your experiments that you conducted in a a bit more depth. And what I'd like to do is do a deep dive into the ones that you mentioned, you know, the 70 hours of TED Talks, um, the living in isolation, and talk about what your personal takeaways were from each one and how they could be applied to our own lives. Cool. Where do you want to start? <laughs> Let's start with the TED Talks. There, there's so many of them. Let's yeah. start with the TED Talks because that one intrigues me. I want to talk a bit about information and retention given that you know um, people listen to our podcast very much the same way people consume TED Talks. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That, that was kind of a weird one uh, in that I didn't really learn too much about information retention. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of approached each of these with an open mind for, for what I had learned with it. And you know, the the big thing I learned from that was the power of curiosity um, and, and creativity with regard to productivity. Like the most productive people, they work smarter instead of just harder. And to work smarter, I think you have to bring this kind of uh, creativity to what you do. Uh, and so, something that I found recently is that 
you know, the, the productive people are the ones who basically connect the most dots. And, you know, to make Uber, for an example, you, you know, you have to understand a lot about the taxi industry and you have to understand a lot about the app industry. And it's by connecting those two ideas that you create a $50 billion company, you know, acquiring these dots, you know, in terms of knowledge and experience and conversations like the one we're having and podcasts mm-hmm. that you listen to and perspectives and reading books and understanding history to see how, you know, humanity connected the dots to make the world today. You know, learning from your mistakes and making mistakes and doing experiments like the ones I maybe not as crazy as the ones I did in my project, but these are these are all ways of connecting dots. And creativity, I think, is the process of connecting dots. And the more dots you connect, I think the more productive you can become. I, you know, I, I define productivity as achieving what you intend to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's about that kind of intention behind what you do. I, I think that bit is crucial. Uh, and, you know, in terms of connecting the dots, you know, just being immersed in the, the 70 hours of TED Talks. So a lot of folks ask me when we chat about that experiment, you know, what TED Talks stood out for me. And really, there, there are only a few ones that did. And what they all had in common was that the people that gave them were the ones who were so open to this idea and just immersed themselves in so much information that they connected a bunch of dots to get to where they were on the TED stage. So that was probably the biggest lesson that, that I learned from that experiment. It was, it was a fun one. Mm-hmm. It, that, it was definitely one of the funner ones. Like There was one I did uh, living in total isolation for 10 days, which was just you know, a drag to, to get through the entire thing. But, but the TED Talk one was one of the funner ones from the project. We'll talk about the isolation one. I want to actually talk a little bit more about the TED one. Um, yeah. What I'm actually interested in is not what stood out for you, but how you actually designed the experiment and how we might yeah. go about designing similar experiments in our own lives. Yeah, what I did is, you know, I basically started with the intention and I scheduled out each day. I, I, I blocked out, it's kind of hard to remember because I did it about a year ago, but I'll, I'll do my best. You know, I blocked off the time each day when I planned what talks to watch. Um, I had some on my phone that I downloaded, some on my computer that I watched. I had a, a notepad next to my computer to jot down, you know, the interesting kind of nuggets from, from the talks, as well as the, the thoughts I had about productivity itself, as well as things to, to research and get curious about from the experiment. Uh, but I basically put out a call to my readers and asked, you know, okay, what, what TED Talks are your favorite? And I think I got about a couple days worth from that. And the rest I went kind of through the categories on TED.com to, to dive deep into the topics that I cared about. But uh, the, the way I designed the experiments is, you know, the reason a lot of them are crazy is because I started with what I wanted to measure and work my way backwards to what experiment would be uh, kind of the craziest way to measure that. So for the TED experiment, it was the information retention. It was uh, how powerful taking breaks was. Uh, that was actually insanely powerful. You know, that, that's, that's another thing I kind of came to realize over the course of the project is productivity, you know, the more you slow down, and the more you take your time with things, the more deliberately you can work and the more productive you can become, I think. And so that, that's kind of where, how I designed them. You know, what did I want to measure? Then I worked backwards to an experiment from there. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes, it makes absolute okay, sense. Cool. So what, what in the world would you want to measure by spending all that time in isolation? 
<laughs> I wanted to measure two things. One, one was kind of big, one was minor. Uh, the big thing was how do people impact my productivity and where do people fit into this idea of productivity? And the other was actually sunlight. There was uh, no sunlight in the basement that the, in my house at the time. Uh, and so that, that was just something I measured as kind of a, a, a spandrel of the experiment. So what, uh, what sort of insights and takeaways did you have from that? I can't imagine that wouldn't lead you to a place of like a lot of depression. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Because when you, sunlight mel- regulates your melatonin production in uh-huh. your body. And so your body doesn't know when it's day. It doesn't know when it's night. It was musty in the basement. So I was stuffed up for most of it. My immune system was shot because my body had no idea what direction was up. Um, I let myself escape from, from the basement for just a few minutes when I needed to get food and, and, you know, when nobody was home and, it was kind of this this beautiful idea of taking a step back from the people and you you know like when you uh, when you take some time off around new years and you begin to step back from your work and you begin to kind of see the place that work fits into the bigger picture of your life you begin to rise up above everything mm-hmm uh, this this experiment was kind of similar in, in a way where I rose up above the people and the relationships and the friendships um, and just the people that I was surrounded with most of the time to see the place they fit into my life, and and it was it was kind of a an eye opening experiment for me because I'm one of these people I, I can take people for granted sometimes and that's hard to admit, um, but but it's it's true and that's a reality I had to face during that experiment. Um, you know, I, I'd kind of ignored some relationship and ships in my life. I hadn't called my mom or dad <laughs> in a while before doing that experiment. And when I took a step back from those relationships, you know, I kind of had these realizations that like, holy shit, like I'm I'm really messing up with a lot of these things. And the reason for productivity in the first place is people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's no other better reason. You know, why would you do productivity for yourself? Um, you know, you ask people why they want to become more productive. And most people say, you know, because of my family, because I, I want to have, uh, I want to leave a future for them. I want to leave a future for, uh, you know, whoever comes after me. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was kind of the big lesson that I, that I learned from that one. Also, the power of meditation. Um, I, I love, do you meditate? Occasionally. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an avid surfer, so that's my, my form of meditation. That's where you get into the flow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I realized just how sane meditation <laughs> kept me during this experiment. Um, I, I've had a daily meditation ritual for, I think, five or six years right now, uh-huh. where I meditate for 30 minutes over the course of the day, um, sometimes broken down into 15-minute chunks, sometimes all at once, You know, depending on how I'm feeling that day, whatever I'm comfortable with. And that really kept me sane because the the thing that meditation does, and it doesn't have to be this like really spiritual practice. A lot of the business leaders that I deal with uh, meditate frequently, but it didn't change what I was experiencing in the basement, but it changed how I related to what I was experiencing in the basement. And that's why I meditate every day, because no matter what happens with your work or with your life, when everything hits the fan, you know, meditation won't change that everything hit the fan, but it'll change how you relate to what happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense in the world. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Uh, Let me ask you this. How would you say that you have connected the dots between all of these things to create a framework effectively, which is what I'd imagine the result was with your book, uh, yeah. that can then be applied to our own lives to do what we want to do, really optimize our own productivity. F- frameworks are hard, right? Because sure. the, the human brain is meant, f- you know, it's designed to categorize things. That, that's why we like, um, that, that, that's why we like sporting teams. That's why we like putting labels on things. Like when you learn that somebody's an atheist or when I tell somebody that I'm a Buddhist, uh-huh. you know, you, you get this kind of, uh, jumbled up web of associations that comes along with that categorization. And so 
I usually try to fight against the categorization of things and, and labeling things. But but that said, you know, towards the end of the project, I realized something kind of huge with regard to productivity. And it was that every single thing I either experimented with or read about or whatever fit into one of three things. Um, it, it fit either into managing your time, mm-hmm. uh, managing your energy, or managing your attention. Um, and productivity, I think, is the confluence of these three things. You know, if you can't manage your time properly, you'll end up spending half the day watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't manage your energy properly, you'll burn out at one in the afternoon and not have enough uh, fuel in the tank to get through the day. If you can't focus, you're going to be multitasking and spreading your energy around in a million directions. Or, you know, you won't be able to shine that attentional spotlight that you move around the world throughout the course of the day in in one direction to get things done more efficiently. You know, productivity is time, energy, and attention. And where the three things meet in the middle, that's how productive you are. And that's that's kind of the framework that you know, once I realized that I kind of, I, I kind of look at things from a scientific kind of businessy point of view, even mm-hmm. though some of the experiments are crazy. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at, I looked at, okay, what, what would make this model broken? So what are the exceptions to this model? And I couldn't really find anything with regard to human performance, you know, nothing kind of that I found. And if somebody listening can think of something, that'd be awesome because it would, you know, it would just be another dot to connect things to. But I realized that nothing kind of fits outside the boundaries of time, energy, and attention as it relates to productivity. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the, the thing that everything fit into. Okay, so let's let's actually do a deeper dive into those three things. Uh, yeah. How do you more effectively manage time? How do you more effectively manage energy? How do you more effectively manage attention? And talk to us about your own discoveries through through the lens of your own story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, this it, it's kind of a huge question uh to answer because under each of these umbrellas, under time, energy and attention, it's not that that's where the model begins to get more complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's way more complicated because you can categorize things on this kind of high level, but underneath time, underneath energy, underneath attention, you know, are hundreds of things that you can do to cultivate each. You know, there isn't like a 10 step, unfortunately, there isn't a 10 step plan. These are the 10 things you have to do to accomplish everything you intend to uh, trademark. But, but, you know, that that said, there are are some things that help more than other things. Um, Starting with time, maybe. One of the experiments I conducted was working 90 hours a week. So for a month, you know, my project was first and foremost a research project. And so for a month, I did 90 hours of intensive research and interviews and writing one week, then 20 hours the next, then 90, then 20 for a month to see how throwing more time at everything that I had to get done impacted how much I accomplished. Again, productivity isn't about how much you produce. It's about how much you accomplish. And something I realized when I took a step back from that experiment was that, and it might sound kind of hard to believe, and it was hard for me to believe at the time, but you know, even though I was busier during the 90-hour weeks, when I took that step back and looked at how much I actually achieved during those 90 hours, I, I achieved about the same working 90 hours one week mm-hmm. and 20 hours the next. And the difference was how I spent my time. You know, There are certain 
tasks in your work. Uh, and this is one of those you know painfully obvious lessons that you learn only in hindsight, looking backwards at things. But there are certain tasks in your work through which you accomplish more for every minute you spend on those tasks relative to everything else. And so take, you know, take watching Netflix again versus working, uh, you know, editing a podcast. Uh For every minute you spend editing a podcast, you accomplish more and you impact so much, so many more people and you do things that actually have meaning to you uh, versus watching, uh, you know, uh, what's, What's the oh, orange is the new black? That, that's what you say. <laughs> Do you watch that show? Yeah, uh, I've never seen it. It's entertaining. Is it good? Yeah, it's, it's very good. good. Yeah. Would you recommend it? Yes, absolutely. Like, how many stars out of ten would you give? It deserves nine or ten. It's well written. Holy it's God. entertaining. It's it's good. Well, one of the experiments I'm planning for July, I haven't announced this yet, is watching Netflix for for a month. So alternating <laughs> between watching Netflix all day as like a full-time job uh-huh. one day and then working as much as possible the next. So trying to achieve as much as I possibly can the next day. I and can't wait how, to hear how that turns out. Seeing how my motivation is like impacted throughout that experiment. But but back to the back to the main thread because mm-hmm go off on tangents. This is why I meditate so I don't talk like this. Um, <laughs> there, there are certain tasks in your work through which you accomplish more than any other task. Mm-hmm. And that's something I realized working 90 hours a week. You know, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive. You know, that busyness makes you feel productive because your brain is more stimulated. It's more engaged. It's it, it's basically like a, just a, an insane amount of activity that it's surrounded by. And so you get the illusion of productivity. But when you step back and look at how much you accomplish, you didn't actually do that much more. Uh-huh. And so I think that for time management, has to start, you know, is by taking that step back uh, period- periodically throughout the day by working slower and more mindfully. But in general, you know, taking out a sheet of paper, and this is something that I recommend everybody on the planet do, is take out a sheet of paper and a pen and write down everything in your job or in your personal life, you can, you know, flip the side over for that, that you're responsible for and, you know, get that all out of your head. And then ask yourself, if I can only do one thing on this list all day long, day in and day out, which of these things adds the most value or do adds the most meaning to my life? Uh-huh. Um, and do, do the same thing a second time and a third time. And, you know, those those are the three tasks through which you accomplish the most. And, and there's usually a gaping chasm between these three tasks and all the other tasks in your work. Only a few things matter. And this is true whether you're a painter for a living, whether you're a podcaster for a living, whether you're an accountant for a living. There, there are just a very small amount of things that matter. Um, for me, it's, you know, it's three things. It, it's, you know, cranking out that book that I finished last week and then, you know, marketing it and seeing it through the finish line, through the, through the design and everything. Um, it's writing my website so I can chat with my readers and, and keep engaged with, with that side of my business. Mm-hmm. And it's doing speaking engagements. And those are the three things through which I accomplish more than any other task in my work. I accomplish more through those things than meetings, than through doing email, than through you know booking trips. That, that's why I have that's why I have an assistant do those types of things, so I can focus on the things that actually matter. Um, I think that's you know maybe maybe I'll do one tactic from each because yeah, I, could I would, I would say so. that, that was incredibly this. useful. Let's let's go into the one on energy then. <laughs> yeah. That was that was yeah. 
profound, like beautiful. So let's talk about energy because that was one that's very interesting to me personally. Energy is, I'll do three because they're relatively quick. I won't spend as long Mm -hmm. as on these three as that one. Um, You know, energy is this weird thing. You know, you look at, okay, how how does energy play in with productivity? Um, And I think the answer is quite simple. You know, energy is kind of the fuel that you burn to accomplish more over the course of the day, especially mental energy. Uh, You know, your brain takes up two to 3% of your your body mass, but it burns off 20% of the calories you consume, you know, it's, it's pound for pound, the, the part of your body that takes up the most energy. Um, and, you know, providing it with this constant fuel, you know, there's kind of the, the golden triangle of things that you can do to cultivate your energy levels. And I, I always feel like such like a mom, uh, talking about this, this stuff, but the three things are exercising. So moving more, um, eating better and getting enough sleep. Yeah, maybe maybe work our way backwards. Sleep is is huge. Um, I have this rule, and it's kind of pseudo scientific. There's no science whatsoever behind it, but I follow it religiously. And it's that for every hour of sleep I miss out on, I lose two hours of productivity the next day. Mm. And I think if everybody followed that rule, you know, I think forty percent of everybody in the United States doesn't get enough sleep, and that's a huge number. People are walking around like zombies, and Sleep impacts every single aspect of your mental performance. Um, In the research that I've encountered, I haven't really encountered any research that shows how sleep can be good for you. Maybe, uh, maybe, you know, reducing how much of a filter you have in your head, but on a very basic, basic level, sleep is a way of exchanging your time for energy. And when energy is the fuel that you burn to be productive over the course of the day and your brain needs so much of it, um, I think that's huge. Eating better. Um, you know, you're the, w- what happens after you eat something is your body converts that food into glucose. So just as an oil refinery converts oil into gasoline, your body convert that, that a car can burn, your body converts food into glucose that your body burns off as energy. Glucose is gasoline for your body. And so when you eat things that are processed, you know, these foods that come prepackaged and everything, they're they're basically pre-digested for you by machines. You know, there isn't much sustenance in them. And so your body burns through them like crazy. You get this crazy energy high because your brain is flooded with glucose and you crash a bit later. Um, and you feel that kind of drag at one or two in the afternoon after you ate the big meal or after you ate the Big Mac, you know, you feel kind of sluggish because your glucose is a roller coaster throughout the day. And so in terms of eating, I I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there right now, Mm -hmm. but in terms of eating, you know, slowing down when you eat, um, eating more mindfully, uh, to actually not only taste what you're eating, but actually not have that roller coaster of energy so your body knows when it's full so you can stop eating. Um, you know, your body takes at least 15 minutes to tell your brain that it's full. And so you need to kind of build that, that bandwidth then when you eat. Um, not only that, but eating foods that are less processed, that aren't processed for machines for you. Uh, you know, whole, whole foods, whole meats, like these things that take your body longer to burn. Um, that, that's another huge thing. Mm. Exercise. Do you exercise? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah? yeah? Every day? Yeah. 
Good man. Good man. (laughs) You know, our bodies, the reason why exercise has a huge mental impact is because we evolved, you know, our bodies are kind of stuck in time in a way. Um, After after the Stone Age, they haven't evolved much. Uh, they're stuck in. Th- we evolved to walk five to ten miles every single day, day in and day out. And what's happening now is we're getting pretty much no physical activity. And so, the the biggest impact that exercise has uh, mentally is on stress. And you know, just as we get almost no physical activity today, when we used to get a ton, you know, we used to not have a lot of stress in our environment. You know, we used to come into contact with a saber-toothed tiger every once in a while for a couple minutes every odd day, but we didn't have this constant stress of you know being in a workplace environment, being surrounded by distractions and, and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, the exercise is the best way to combat against that stress. Um, it literally burns off the stress that you accumulate over the course of the day and over the course of the week and has these insane mental benefits. Whew, there we go. So <laughs> sleep, sleep, eating better and exercising. Okay, cool. Was that a lot? Was that, that a was lot to digest? plenty. And no, I, 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 I didn't even want to stop you because there was so much gold there. So okay. let's talk about attention. Cool. This is what happens. I ramble. This, you know, this is why I can't be on podcast because I just like, it was like a slow start. We, we kind of got into a groove, but now like I, I can't stop. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is great. Keep going. Um, so let's talk okay. about attention. Cool. <laughs> yeah. People suck at managing their attention. You know, some people are great at it, but we're surrounded by millions of uh, things not only outside our heads but also inside our heads. Um, one of the best things that somebody can do to build up how much attention they bring to everything around them is to only work on one thing at one time. And so I think multitasking is, I don't think this, science thinks this, uh, multitasking is one of the biggest things that is holding people back from accomplishing more over the course of the day. Because it, it's like it's like what I mentioned earlier, when when we multitask, instead of investing 100% of our energy in one direction, Excuse me. Instead of investing 100% of our energy in one direction, we spread it across 100 different things at once. Mm-hmm. One direction. Have you heard the song Night Changes, by the way? I haven't, actually. It's very good. You should download it after the podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, th- this, is, this is the problem, I think. You know, we spread our energy in so many different directions that we can't, we move a millimeter in a thousand different, different directions instead of moving a mile in one. Uh-huh. And multitasking, the interesting thing about the science behind multitasking is I used to multitask when I started my project and I wanted to conduct an experiment around only working on one thing at one time, but I kept putting it off because I loved multitasking. It's like being busy, right? You know how being busy stimulates your mind. Multitasking is the exact same way. It stimulates your mind and it's more stimulating than only working on one thing at one time. So I resisted doing it. But when you look at the science behind it, you know, study after 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 study shows that multitasking makes you less productive, not more productive. Mm-hmm. It makes you more prone to errors. It decreases your memory. It actually takes longer. You know, you feel like it doesn't because you're more stimulated, but it takes longer to do everything because your mind can't focus on two things at one time. You know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, but you can't focus on walking 
and chewing gum at the same time. You know, you can't focus on more than one thing at one time. And there are costs that comes uh, that come along with switching between things on the fly. And so working on one thing at one time, you know, it lets you not only dedicate 100% of your uh, attention and energy and time to just one target, to just one thing, you know, it allows you to bring so much more of yourself to your work. And especially when you take that step back, you know, with how you manage your time to figure out what's meaningful, what makes an impact in your work, you know, it lets you kind of appreciate and enjoy it that much more. You know, I experienced this in my project. You know, I declined those jobs. I, I started the project um, exploring my passion for uh, for an entire year. And I was just moving faster and faster instead of working slower and more deliberately and with more intention. And because of that, I enjoyed it so much less than than I should have enjoyed it because I was following my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it not only lets you uh, work more efficiently, I, I hate the word efficiency because it reduces everything you do down to something that's kind of cold and, and corporate. But I don't think there's a better word here. You know, single tasking, just working on one thing at one time lets you work more efficiently. It lets you dive deep into what you're doing. And so, yeah, single tasking and single tasking, you know, people talk about working mindfully all the time. Um, Single tasking is basically mindfulness. You know, single working on one thing at one time is a way of carving out this attentional space around what you're working on in the moment so you can reflect on uh, how you're feeling about what you're doing and how much energy you have and whether you got enough sleep and whether you need to change your habits around your energy too. You know, it creates more space around the task in the moment so you can work smarter and more efficiently. Wow. Meditation helps too, by the way. Wow. There's just a, wow. a lot of really, wow. really good stuff here. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, so you got me going. You got oh, me well, going. I, I didn't want to stop you because there's a lot there. Uh, <laughs> but it, it makes me think about something that, you know, one of our former podcast guests, Jim Bunch, had said about designing environments for, you know, optimal performance and creativity. And yeah. one of the big questions that he threw at me was, what if you said no to everything that wasn't on track with your bigger purpose? And that always kind of stuck with me. And it's funny because you've taken that and really dissected it. You know, I, I realize much like you, you know, I have a book to write and I have a list of goals and priorities on my desk. And I'm like, okay, everything that isn't on track with these two, th- these things that are written on this card that I went and got laminated is actually yeah. not essential or important right now. Yeah, precisely. And, yeah. And the thing is, you know, we say yes to a lot of things that are incredibly unimportant all day long. Yeah. You know, we answer emails when we don't have to. We mm-hmm. even when it comes to making decisions in the moment, we say yes to checking social media. When 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 you look at kind of the the web of everything that you do over the course of the day, not many people, maybe one or two have, but not many people change the world through social media. Mm-hmm. They change the world by writing books. They change the world by making their art, by investing their time into what they find meaningful. And that's the problem, right? Because when you look at how much resistance your brain puts up to certain tasks in your work relative to other tasks, your brain doesn't resist social media, but your brain resists writing a book. And, you know, the science behind that is fascinating. Um, there's There's been a study out of uh, Carleton University, my alma mater, where they looked at, okay, why uh, why do we procrastinate 
on certain tasks and not on other tasks. And it turns out that there are certain triggers that a task can have that make you more likely to procrastinate with it. And those are whether, and there's seven of them, those are whether a task is boring, frustrating, difficult, whether it's ambiguous or unstructured, and the final two, whether it lacks intrinsic reward, so it's rewarding in and of itself, or whether it lacks personal meaning. And the more of these triggers that a task has, the more likely you are to put off doing it. So Mm. you look at writing a book versus social media. You know, writing a book, the end result is so freaking cool because you can hold a book in your hands and say, I made this. I made, there was once not a book and now there is a book. And that's because I put words to a page and I made this. Mm -hmm. But to get from zero to one, you know, you have to slog your way through this task that's boring, that's frustrating, that's difficult. You know, it has a shitload of personal meaning, um, but it doesn't have much intrinsic rewards. And, you know, it's often ambiguous and unstructured. And so you put off doing it in favor of social media or watching Netflix, which, of course, aren't boring, frustrating, difficult, ambiguous. It's not unstru- Netflix is so structured that it pre- presents you with the next episode of Orange is, is the New Black before you finish watching the current one. Right. That's how structured it is. That's why we that's why we put off doing the important things um, for the stuff that isn't important because our brain doesn't have that resistance. It's like you've had Seth on Seth Godin on it a uh-huh. time or two, and he talks about this whole lizard brain idea. You know, you you have this visceral emotional reaction to certain tasks in your work whether you like it or not. And it's because they said, this is what the research shows, it's because they set off these triggers. And the, the way out of this, by the way, <laughs> once you kind of step back from writing a book or working on a report or doing your art, whatever your art happens to be. The thing I love about Seth Godin's work is he, he broadens the definition of an artist to be so inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what somebody does. And I, I love that. That's my favorite aspect of his work, you know, especially, you know, I talked about my story a little bit growing up, not having many friends when I moved over to Ontario, kind of looking inwards. Um, th- that inclusiveness is something that I love uh, whenever I come across it in, in other people's work. Um, and so I love that definition of his art, but, but as a yet another tangent. But what happens when you notice yourself procrastinating on writing a book or doing a report or your art is you can take a step back from it and think like okay, writing a book is boring and it's frustrating, for example. Um, So maybe to make it less boring, you can reward yourself after you do it or, you know, set time limits. So, so you, to make it more fun for yourself and make a game out of it, Uh, maybe to make it less frustrating, you can, you know, have a weekly call with somebody else who's happens to be writing a book and talk about the struggles that you're facing. Uh, Unstructured, you can define an outline ahead of time before you dive into writing the chapters. Um, Ambiguous, you know, you can do some research around the process. Um, You know, it probably has personal meaning, but, or intrinsic rewards to make it more rewarding. You know, you can have have a word counter so you can see your progress throughout the throughout the course of the project. You know, these are all things. And this is, I think, the nugget behind why, you know, what it takes to get more done. You know, I talk about the deliberateness, the intention behind what you're doing. This is the case with everything, you know, whether in general, whether it's, you know, what you're working on in general or what you're working on every day. You know, if you find you're resisting something, taking that step back is huge. Whether you know, you don't have to live in total isolation to do it. You know, to take a step back from whatever project you're resisting uh, from your lizard brain and think about how you can reverse 
those triggers. Wow. Well, Chris, this has been really, really cool. Uh, oh, cool, man. And a lot of really tactical and, and practical insights, which I really appreciate. Uh, so I want to close with one final question. And since you've heard our interviews, you probably know what's coming. Uh, yeah, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? It, it actually took me a while to come up with this answer. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy I, I, I heard a couple interviews and that I don't have to come, come up with it extemporaneously. <laughs> um, I, I think what makes someone unmistakable is when they accomplish exactly what they intend to. Hmm. And when what they intend to accomplish comes from a place deep inside of them. So whether that's their passion, whether that's caring for other people, whether that's, you know, connecting uh, whatever they do with that deep part of them to something they value, I think that's huge. Awesome. Well, like I said, this has been really fantastic. And uh, I, I really hope appreciate I, I you hope, taking I hope the time people like the interview. Oh, I'm, like I'm sure they will. The, okay, cool. So. Uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, can I be a douchebag and promote? Oh, yeah, stuff? absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just my website, a life of It, it has there, there's no ads, there's no sponsorships on it whatsoever. Um, that, that's kind of a, a rule that I set for myself since starting the project, you know, kind of put stuff out there for people to enjoy, for people to benefit from, uh, because, you know, that, that's, that's my work. That's what I'm proud of. Um, and that's where people can find what I do there. Oh, there, there is one of those annoying newsletter pop-ups that comes up, but you can like X that and never see it again. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's my website. If people want to check it out. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.